The last couple of weeks, we've been looking at God's artistry. Last week, we looked at poetry in the Old Testament and the, the beauty and artistry that goes into it. And today, I want to take one psalm as an example of what the way this sort of thing can work. And my goal is to understand Psalm 20 at three levels. The artistry, the truth that the artistry expresses, and then the message that speaks to our hearts. And uh, we're going to start then by looking at this psalm together. And to start with, I'll read it through and we'll just, I won't, we'll just read it through exactly as it stands without me explaining anything of the way it's written. Um, to the choir master, a psalm of David. So it's one of David's psalms. May Yahweh answer you in the day of trouble. Yahweh is the name of God. You can say God, Yahweh is God. You, um, it is like there are other false gods, but Yahweh is the name of the true God. May Yahweh answer you in the day of trouble. May the name of the God of Jacob protect you. And you may have noticed from last week that that's parallelism. The first verse, the first line is a reflection of the second line. And you can see the words Yahweh is reflected in the name of our God. The day of trouble reflected to answer you in the day of trouble. It's reflected in protect you. And so we've got a, a, a nice symmetry there. They're, they're saying the same thing. May he send you help from the sanctuary and give you support from Zion. Again, Beautiful symmetry, send you help, give you support. The sanctuary and Zion are pretty much the same thing. One's the city, one's the the actual temple, but it's pretty much the same. Uh, May he remember all your burnt offerings and and regard with favor your burnt sacrifices. Again, very similar. Sila, which is, we're not exactly sure what it means, but it's some kind of a pause in for thought at this point. Then we we move into a slightly different direction. May he grant you your heart's desire and fulfill all your plans. So again, uh, we've got um, something a bit more positive, but again, we've got this parallelism. Then we'll shout loudly for joy over your salvation. And in the name of our God, set up our banners. Yahweh will fulfill all your petitions. Now I know that Yahweh saves his anointed. He will answer him from his holy heaven with the saving might of his right hand. So we had a little bit of break from parallelism between five and six, but now we're back again to that. Um, Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of Yahweh our God. Just a beautiful parallel there. Um, They collapse and fall, but we rise and stand upright. So this is Psalm 20, and this is the, the, um, the beautiful psalm that we're going to unpack now. And what I've been showing you up to now is the, oh sorry, one more line. Yahweh save the king. He will answer us when we call. So, this is a beautiful psalm, but what does it mean 
for you and me. Can we use verse 4 as a promise, as some people do? Did you notice verse 4? May he grant you your heart's desire and fulfill all your plans. Oh, God's promised me my heart's desire. So I just need to claim that promise, and whatever I want is my heart, then this psalm promised. Is that what it's saying? We'll come on to that. If, if it is true, in what sense is this true? So this is just a, a, um, a, a quick overview of the introduction to the psalm, and now I want to actually move into our three things, the artistry, the truth, and the message. And we're going to start now by looking at the artistry, how this psalm is woven together. And this is one of my favorite psalms for doing this. So, um, uh, and I, we've looked briefly at the parallelism, but last week I also mentioned there's a symmetry often in the psalms. And there's a balance. And often they'll start with one idea, and that will link to another idea, and then another idea, and then some central idea. And then it will work back again through the sequence to the beginning. But something has changed. And usually some element, either right in the middle or slightly after the middle, has been introduced, which means that the bits that go back are different the same topic, but they're phrased differently and something new is added. And then the last statement echoes the first statement, but often there's a question in the first which is answered in the second. And I want to tell you, this is a beautiful example of this. This Even just saying the shen shivers down my spine, it is just so beautiful. And so we're going to go through this now, and we're going to switch to a, to a different view here so I can show you the, the whole psalm. And I'm giving the game away with the colours, so you have to, ideally I'd reveal it a bit at a time, but you'll see it all now. Um, so the colours don't show very well on there, but um, hopefully uh, you can see it a bit better. No, don't think that's going to change, Sajit, that it's what I've got up here. Yeah, I, I just have to read it to you. <clears throat> May Yahweh answer you in the day of trouble. May the name of the God of Jacob protect you. So that's the initial statement. May, I, may Yahweh, this is the prayer. So this is how it starts, and there's a problem. Obviously, this is coming out of a problem. There's some difficulty. There's a day of trouble. Um, and it, we're not told what it is because the goal is that this should be applied. We should be able to apply this generally to us. And if the psalm had specified exactly the problem, we wouldn't be able to take it so easily for ourselves. Then there's a focus on the source of where this help is going to come from. May he send you help from the sanctuary and give you support from Zion. This is where it's coming from, and it's God's presence it's coming from. Oh, why should God help me? Why should he answer this prayer? Uh, and so it says here, may he remember all your offerings and regard with favor your burnt sacrifices. Uh, what is this about? Uh, the the idea here is not so much that, you know, I've done my bit, you do yours, but God, I've been faithful to you, and I've been, you asked me to do this, and I've been, do, I've been following you. I've been following your covenant. I've been doing your will in this. But we're going to see that this is going to get replaced in a minute in the beauty of the balance of this psalm. 
It says, remember, um, uh, remember all your offerings. The word remember in Hebrew doesn't mean, oh, I forgot it, I remembered it now. But it means call to mind something. So God remembered Israel when they were in slaves in Egypt. It means he, he brought it to his attention and gave attention to it. So it's saying to God, just give attention to the fact that, you know, I'm one of your servants. I'm somebody who, who, who obeys you. Then we have, in verse 4, we have a request, and the prayer widens out here. It's not just this immediate problem, but it's widening out. May he grant you your heart desire and fulfill all your plans. Um, everything in my life to be blessed. You know, that's pretty, pretty big, isn't it? It's not just this imi- initial problem, but I actually, God, I want everything. I want all of my problems sorted out. And so we can, at this point, we've got like a complete block of, of the stages of prayer. And then we have the central element of the psalm. And the central element is, I've translated it, we'll shout loudly for joy. In the, the Hebrew is a ringing shout, like a bring the roof down shout of joy over your salvation and the name of our God set up banners. So this is like a confidence. It's a statement of faith. I know that God is with me here. I know this. And it's a statement, a ringing statement of confidence. And this isn't quite the turning point of the psalm, as we'll see in a moment, but it is like a central focus of faith that is, that is resounding in the middle of the psalm. Uh, then what we have in the next part that's in green, the colors don't show quite so well up there, but um, Yahweh will fulfill all your petitions. Now, can you see how that echoes from verse 4? May he grant your heart's desire and fulfill all your plans. And now he says he will fulfill all your petitions. What's different? Yeah, it's not a request anymore, is it? It's a statement. Something really has changed here. And then we have a very interesting verse, which is verse 5. Now I know that Yahweh saves his anointed. And I was going to ask you about this, but kind of I've given the game away here. The word anointed in Hebrew is Messiah, Meshoah. It's exactly the same word. Does anybody know what that the Greek equivalent is when it's translated into Greek? Yeah? Yeah, Christos. The Greek is Christ. So Jesus was actually named, you know, Jesus Christ, Jesus Messiah. And, uh, always, he is the, the Christ, the Messiah. Um, and so, um, what we have here is very interesting because what is this paralleled with in this structure? Can you see what it maps up against? Tell me. Yeah, it maps up with the offerings and burnt sacrifices. Wow, what is going on here? The Messiah is now the basis of this prayer. So it looks like in the first way through that the reason God should answer is because of the sacrifices. But now, exactly that point has been replaced with... I know Yahweh saves them, his anointed, the Messiah. Wow. And I don't have to 
show you in the New Testament the, the many, many places where Jesus is linked with sacrifice, and he is the one who sacrifices, replaces all of the sacrifices of old. Now, what's remarkable here is that David should have written this. Now, did he understand what he was writing? I think to some extent because he was given a special revelation of God, which in theology we call the Davidic covenant, where God said to him, through one of your descendants, I'm going to actually bring in the new the new age, bring in that what I've been promising, and it's going to be one of your descendants, one of the anointed ones for your descendants. So Jesus knew that there was a coming one who'd be in the line of uh, of the anointed. And uh, so, so uh, what he's saying here, and I believe that this is actually the key element that transforms the, the psalm. It, it's slightly after the center, but that often occurs in this sort of formulation. Then. The next one, which is in, it's supposed to be in blue. It doesn't show that well up there, but um, uh, it, it mirrors so beautifully what we had in verse two. It says, "He will answer him from his holy heaven with the saving might of his right hand." Compared with verse two, may he send you help from the sanctuary and give you support from Zion. What changed here, apart from a prayer, a request to a statement? What else has changed? Yeah? Yeah. Uh, but what is, what, what's the key difference? Where is the help coming from in verse two? Yeah, it's gone up a cosmic level. Do you see that? Instead of help coming from Jerusalem, from the sanctuary, help is now coming from heaven. Like it's been taken up a level. God himself from the cosmic uh, dwelling place is reaching down. And then um, we have, I'm just going to jump to the end. Uh, verse 9 is a perfect replica of verse 1. Um, Yahweh saved the king. He will answer us when we call. So the last line, he will answer us when we call, maps perfectly, may Yahweh answer you in the day of trouble. It's like a complete reversal, bookends matching perfectly. But what we have is uh, inserted in there, before the end, is like a chorus, an extra little bit of poetry that gets put in there uh, between verse 6 and verse 9, and it says, some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we will trust in the name of Yahweh our God. They collapse and fall, but we rise and stand upright. So that's a beautiful, beautiful parallelism. They trust in, in horses. We trust in the name of God. They collapse and fall, but we stand upright. That's antithetical parallelism, the opposite. Remember I was talking about it when sometimes they say the things the opposite way around. And this is a beautiful example because you're contrasting what it's like for people who don't trust in God compared with people who do trust in God. So this is then, is the beautiful artistry of this. The, uh, there's so much more confidence at the end. Um, the, and the one other thing, you may notice that it shifts from singular at the beginning, may God answer you in the day of trouble, or at least, at least it's like a second person, um, to a, at the end of it is, it's us, it's a we. And you get this like more of a limited 
to a more of like a, an inclusive at the end there. And uh, then, of course, this new person is added, who is the anointed one, who's added to the second half. And so, and the movement we see here from just winning a battle in the, in the, in the middle, in the, in the beginning, winning some, some problem you were engaged with, the day of trouble, to winning the whole victory at the end, to everything coming through and even our heart desire. So, so that is the artistry that's in this psalm. And I think you'll agree with me, it's just beautifully woven together. And if you're interested, I can send you a link to that uh, picture. So um, we've looked then at the artistry. Now I want to say, what is this saying? What is the truth that's being expressed? Because if we just stay with the artistry, we can enjoy it, but it hasn't uh, engaged us. And then how do we take it specifically for you and I here on this particular day? So what I want to say then is... Um, uh, when I talk about what it's saying, um, let me go back to that. This starts off with a prayer for those of us who are in trouble. Now, particularly for David the king, um, David is um, the one who's responsible for keeping the land safe. And so what about this prayer for the king? You notice in there, it, there was a specific prayer for the king. May God answer the king. Well, in that context, in the, that, that particular time, the blessing of the people, the, the, the nation, and the blessing of the king were very closely tied together. For the nation to prosper uh, meant for the king to prosper and vice versa. And this is particularly true in Christ's kingdom, um, which this psalm is ultimately about, because our blessing is Jesus' blessing, and Jesus' blessing is our blessing. So it's not praying you know, for the king, just in isolation, his representative of the blessing of the nation, just as Jesus is with us. Um, and then it transitions, it transitioned into a victory uh, for the whole mission of the the. Uh, the goal, the mission of the king. And as we look at what this means with the Messiah, Jesus' whole mission is destruction of all evil. And so it's a prayer, Jesus, may your mission carry forward. And also uh, an incredibly joyful confidence. So we see in this psalm this joy that resounds in here. Um, so... How does this, what, how does this then relate to us as we relate to Jesus? My answer is very simple here. If you are a Jesus follower, then you are joined to Jesus. You are united with him. And so the prayers and the blessing of the Messiah in this psalm are your prayer and blessing. And I just want to show you that from Ephesians 2. And by God being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you've been saved. So because Christ was made alive, we are joined to him. We are made alive. Raised up, raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So in some senses we are in the heavenly places with Christ, even now in a spiritual sense. 
so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable great riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. So I'm showing you these verses here because I want you to see this, that Jesus' blessing is our blessing, and they're intimately connected together. Uh, For by grace you've been saved through faith and is not your own doing, it is the gift of God. So if preeminently Psalm 20 is a prayer for directed for Jesus, the King, the Messiah, and for his victory and for his complete, utter victory and all the desires of his heart, which I believe it is, then that actually reflects to us as well. So I want to say that our battles in Christ are ultimately the same thing. If you're a Jesus follower, you're joined to him, you're not united with him for eternity, and your problems are his problems. And as we walk through this painful challenge together, Jesus, please may we have victory, is our prayer that reflects this psalm. So what I'm going to say as I look at the meaning of this psalm and the principles behind it is that what David did was to reframe his problems that he's facing as actually the problems of the Messiah. He's reframing. It's not just my little problem I'm going through here. God, this is, this is your problem because, you know, I'm, I am part of your kingdom. And by reframing our problems, uh, as God's problems, then God is actually absolutely going to come through for Jesus. And um, and so it says, now I know that Yahweh saves his anointed. This is such such confidence there. I know that Yahweh saves his anointed. He is there. He answers the prayers of Jesus. Now, this is a little bit vague. I'm going to be much more specific now as we go into our last point. Uh, artistry the truth, what it's saying, and now I'm going to be really specific about how we can take this psalm now. You and I can take this psalm, and we can take the fact the psalm seems to be written about Jesus and about his desires coming through and about him having the victory and actually make it a psalm that's about us so we can sing it and we can pray it. What can we do to make this final transition to taking the psalm into ourselves. So, as I said, um, there's a question in verse 4. People take this verse sometimes. May he grant you your heart's desire and fulfill all your plans. As, oh, I can desire anything I want, and God's promised to give it to me. Uh, And the question really is, is this an open promise that God will give us whatever our heart's desire? Um, I would say it's the heart's desire of Jesus for us So what is Jesus' heart's desire? So what we really need to do to understand this is to say, what does Jesus desire for you? What's his heart desire for you? Because this that's what this psalm is saying. May he grant you your heart's desire and spoken to Jesus, but his heart's desire is for us. So there are a number of places where Jesus expresses his desires for us, and one of the best is John 17. So I'm just going to take a few moments just for us to feel what this psalm is saying to us. Jesus prays to the Father. So this is Jesus, if you like, echoing Psalm 20, 
to the Father with the absolute promise that the Father is going to answer this prayer. Like he said, I know that Yahweh will hear the prayers of the anointed. I know that. So we know that this prayer is answered for us. John 17, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. So this is a prayer for unity. That they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. So this is legitimate for us to take from Psalm 20. When we read that verse 4, the heart's desire, Jesus' heart's desire is that you will have his joy fulfilled in you. And you can claim that promise here in this psalm. Keep them from the evil one. There you go. This is Jesus' heart's desire for you. That they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be in us. Wow. Isn't that incredible prayer? So that the world may believe that you have sent me. So that the world will see God in us. And they will say there's something about this person that this Jesus must be from God because he's in them. Wow. And this is the prayer of Jesus, which Psalm 20 tells us that God is committed to answering. And we can claim this. So I'm just very, very moved by this. Let's... um, We've got a couple more verses here. The glory that you've given me, I have given to them, that they may be one even as we are one. I in them, you in me, that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. Isn't that extraordinary? Jesus saying, Father, you love them That's you and me in the same way his is loved, his beloved son. And these are Jesus' desires for us. What could be better than truly feeling the love of the father as intensely as he loved his own son? Wow. And to have a protection from attacks of Satan. Uh, There are many other desires that Jesus has for us, which we could look at other passages of scripture. Like, for example, when he talks about the vine and the branches, and his desire is that we will be fruitful branches bearing much fruit. So Jesus, the heart's desire of Jesus is that you bear fruit for him, that you are fruitful in your life for him. So um, I would say that Jesus' desires for us actually exceed what we would dare to desire for ourselves. We're better off going with Jesus' desires for us because we would say, hey, that's a bit too much. Verse 23, huh? I, you know, you love that us as much as you love Jesus. That's too much to ask, but this is Jesus' desire for us. So how can I pray this psalm in the day of trouble? And I've got, I'm going to give us six examples to finish up with of suggestions about how you may, could pray this psalm. So, You may be sick or worried about being sick. You may be in a financial crisis. You may have someone who's hurting you. You may feel dissatisfied with your life. You may be deeply lonely. You may feel hopeless in your life and get anxious when you think about it. So those are some suggestions for some examples I'm going to take of how we can be, um, we can take the psalm to ourselves.
So I'm sick. We could pray, Lord, this is your body. I belong to you. This sickness is in the way of me serving you and being about your business. That makes it your problem as well as mine. So please lift it off me so we can continue with your mission for my life. If my sickness is somehow bringing you glory, please show me how I can have peace in this. So I'm trying to reframe the sickness as being Jesus' problem as well as mine. And this is what he wants us to do. He wants us to see it. And um, you'll notice also I'm using reasoning in my prayer with God. And this is very common in Scripture when we see some of the great prayers of Scripture. They're not just, God, please do this, but God, please do this because... Do this because of this. because of, And God likes us to, to really enter in with the reasons why we're praying in this. Um, so um, let's take the second one. Financial crisis. Lord, my life is your life. My needs are yours. I'm your servant living my life for you. So my needs are actually your needs. Please provide for this pathway that we are walking together on or show me another pathway for us to walk. I can't pay the rent this month, Jesus. So if you've got some other place for me to live or some other, does that either give me the rent or show me some other pathway? But like, we're doing this together, God. Um, someone is hurting me, maybe in home, in the workplace. Lord, I belong to you. I'm your treasured possession I belong to you and someone is damaging your property. Take action, Lord, and protect me because I am yours. You prayed in John 17 that your people would be kept from the evil one. And this is him right now. You have a mission for my life and it's under attack. Defend me, Lord, for your sake. The next, I feel dissatisfied with my life. Lord, you've saved me for a purpose. You tell us, you tell us that all of us have some role to play in your kingdom. You're my king, so please lead me as a king should and show me my role. So, God, I want you to, to lead me because a king is a leader. Please lead me, God, and show me because you've, you know, I'm, I'm saved for a purpose, not for nothing. Please show me. Um, I'm deeply lonely. Lord, you've said it's not good for us to be alone. This deep isolation is holding me back from serving you how I should. This is your problem as well as mine, Lord. So please rescue me. You see how we're giving the problem to God. So I'll just share something that, that uh, was I was dealing with. So yesterday I took a funeral, and I've never done a big funeral like that before. And I was I was uh, kind of anxious about it because there's a potential to annoy a whole lot of people if I got his name wrong or something like that, or kind of did so. Like a lot of people want this to be a very important for them just to be a good occasion. It's a really significant thing. And so, and then like I had to pray, I had to do this process myself and say, God, this is actually your, your job I'm doing and not mine. And I'm representing you up there. 
And so uh, this isn't about me. I'm not doing this because I particularly want to build a funeral ministry. It's I'm doing this because uh, I'm doing this for you, God. And so please, God, may you may not be dishonored this and may your people be encouraged through this and it was just so much it, it really lifted the anxiety off me to do that when i could reframe it as not as my problem god's god's but god's problem now it might be a little easier for me to do that since it's actually you know do a ministry thing but i think we can do this in any part of our lives and if we find we can't then maybe that bit shouldn't be in our life anyway so um you know even our recreation we're doing it because we want to be rested for serving God. One more. I feel hopeless in my life and get anxious when I think about it. Lord, you came to bring hope, victory over darkness. We know that that was one of Jesus' prayers for us, that we would have hope. But there is darkness and hopelessness in my heart. So, Jesus, you said you were the light of the world. You said, no, come to me and and receive this. Lord, this is your battle as well as mine. As long as the darkness is there, you are not being victorious. So please come as king and win this battle because it is yours. So those then are six examples I've given. Sick or worried about being sick. Financial crisis. Someone hurting me being dissatisfied with my life, deeply lonely, or hopeless and anxious when I think about it. And uh, I'm sure you can think of some more things or some variations of those things that fit in with you. Um, but finally, I want to do one more thing here. And I want to call, I want you to call, I want to call you to an act of your will to make a decision here. The psalm ends by speaking um, about um, very, let me just read the, the last words, very, about the latest military technology. It says, some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we will trust in the name of Yahweh our God. They collapse and fall, but we rise and stand upright. So, um, we actually need to make that statement ourselves. And this is what we're going to end. I'm going to challenge you to make the statement. Now, uh, we could rephrase it in today's language. Some trust in nuclear bombs and weapons of mass destruction, but I will trust in the name of my God. But I doubt if there's anyone here who's actually trusting in weapons of mass destruction right now. So maybe it could be more like some other suggestions. Some trust investments in the stock market but I will trust in you. Some trust in their intellect or personal attractiveness, but I trust in you. Some trust in their business skills or education, but I will trust in the name of my God. And what I want you to do is to insert your own one right now. I'm going to pause for just a moment. I want you to think about what the challenge for you, and I want an act of will here for you to think about. So I'm going to give you... Give you 15 seconds just to think what you want, what your temptation to trust is.
Okay. Does everyone have something? Now, I want you to really engage your will. I'm not going to ask everybody to come up and say something. But I want us to, to I'm going to read this together with us. And um, I want us to, to insert our own um, element in there. Actually, I'm going to switch back to the, uh, the picture of the psalm. There we go. Um, uh, and I want you to insert yourself. And can you could you speak aloud with me, just just under your voice? But I want you to speak aloud with me because I want you to say, "We trust," audibly, and I want you to say, "We rise and stand upright," audibly at the end there. Okay. So can you just join me now? Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of Yahweh our God. Now your bit. Some trust in whatever you want. But we trust in Jesus Christ. They collapse and fall, but we rise and stand upright. Oh, Yahweh, save the king. He will answer us when we call. So I'm just going to read the whole thing through and then we're going to pray. May Yahweh answer you in the day of trouble. May the name of the God of Jacob protect you. May he send you help from the sanctuary and give you support from Zion. May he remember all your offerings and regard with favor your burnt sacrifices, Selah. May he grant you your heart's desire and fulfill all your plans. We will shout loudly for joy over your salvation. In the name of our God, set up our banners. Yahweh will fulfill all your petitions. Now I know that Yahweh saves his Messiah. He will answer him from his holy heaven and with the saving might of his right hand. Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we will trust in the name of Yahweh our God. They collapse and fall, but we rise and stand upright. O Yahweh, save the king. He will answer us when we call. Father, we thank you for this wonderful psalm. We thank you we have such security in Jesus, who is our king and who will never fail to have his request answered. And Lord, we thank you that we have this wonderful cry of victory. And may this cry of victory be our cry. And Lord, we submit to you right now whatever it is that we are struggling with. And we submit to you, Lord, that it is your problem. Because, Lord, we are your servants. We're your subjects. We're your children. So, Lord, our problem is yours. And, Lord, we bring it to you. We give it to you, confident that you will hear us right now when we cry. In Jesus' name we pray this. Amen.